a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. This is Brian once again from Doubters Believers Alliance. Uh, as you can tell, I am not at Bryant Lake Bowl um, as our per usual where we're at, but I'm coming to you from my good old home. If anybody remembers, we used to meet here via just Facebook Live for the first four months, November through uh, February. But we're here today just because um, most of the people who do come to the physical uh, place, Bryant Lake Bowl, notified me that they weren't going to be there today. So I was like, you know, why get all my gear and stuff and head down somewhere where I might be the only one there. But I did not want to uh, not have a service or not have a talk. So... I'm here today from my house. If you can see this sign that we made behind us, you know, we're on a budget here at Doubters Believers Alliance. Um, we made this ourselves. I do eventually want to get a banner or something. So, you know, I don't like to do this, but if anybody does want to support us, um, we don't have a Patreon or something, but if anybody just wants to PayPal us or Venmo or something, we're going to get something set up here in the next couple weeks for it um which would be really helpful because this isn't just our community it's your community it's anybody's community that wants to be a part of it so all that um being said so yes you get to see uh some of my books some of my toys up above me i like to collect toys uh who knew that a 38 year old would like to collect toys i do um I listened back to a couple of their last talks that I did, and I realized that I say um a lot and fillers almost to the point where it got me and annoyed me. So if you hear me trying not to say um or like or because, you know, it's that public speaking coming out of me that I don't uh, don't really like to use filler words. Anyway, I was gone last week. Uh I don't know if a bug hit us or something, but all three of us, me, Amanda, and Ava, were a little under the weather. My daughter, as I've told you guys before, has started school. And with a lot of kids being quarantined or not being able to do anything for the last year and a half, when you put all of them in school, they get uh, very, very sick. So I feel like my daughter has had a perpetual cold or cough for the last month or so. Um, she's at her grandmother's right now. We have a party to go to for one of our nieces not too long after this. So she's that uh, she's not here. Um, Amanda's in the other room kind of, um, manning the comment section and all that stuff. So I wanted to be here today, obviously, because I hate it when I miss a service or a talk. But as anybody knows, people who talk for a living or do these things, you know, every now and then you need a good, mental break, a good time to recharge your batteries. So I feel like I've recharged my batteries 
And instead of buying a beer, I have a pop in a beer kind of mug. Or as people call it from other parts of the world, soda. We call it pop in the Midwest. Uh, one thing we're, or the thing we're going to talk about today, and this might seem not a big deal to some, some of it might feel like it's a huge deal or not a big deal at all. However, I posted something on Facebook a couple weeks back about communion, aka the Eucharist. I'll probably be going back and forth between those words. Literally the same thing. Eucharist is just the nice theological word that pastors and seminarians will throw around. And the Eucharist is just that. It's the communion. And I posed a question a couple weeks back about communion on Facebook. And I, I know a lot of people think Facebook's a toxic place, and it can be. All social media can be. However, I really just had this thought. I don't know if I was just talking to a friend or I was talking to my wife about it, but it's just this idea of the Eucharist and communion because we're kind of going through this theme in DBA about what does the Bible really say about certain things? Because you hear people all the time, well, it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible, or I was taught this is in the Bible, you know, A, B, C through Z. And you, we've talked about divorce, we've talked about uh, homosexuality, but I think it's important to talk about communion because communion is one of those sacraments that is practiced throughout the world by almost every denomination, any kind of Christian church or Christian adjacent church practices it. I've been to churches that are non-denominational, churches that really don't have any sort of structure, uh, probably like DBA, that do practice communion. Uh, a couple weeks back, actually, I don't know if it was the week I was going to talk about this or a few weeks before that, it was World Communion Sunday, where churches all over the world, they kind of have this plan. I think it's the first Sunday in October, where all churches all over the world do communion as a kind of sign of solidarity, as a kind of sign of, you know, this is an important thing, so let's let's do it. But I, I, I'm not going to go back if you just want to go to my page and look at the what I wrote about communion. Uh, I got a lot of pushback from pastors, from, you know, ordained ministers. I got some from some theologians or you know, Bible scholars really telling me uh, their view on it. And I just realized right now that it's very sunny, the window coming th through here. So if my face is glowing, maybe it's, maybe it's the Holy Spirit on me. No, anyway. And I feel bad for people who listen just to the podcast because they're going to say, what is Brian talking about with all this stuff? So if you watch live, it's always better because you get to hear, you get to see what I'm talking about. The one, the, the two things I'll say about this is there's two sacraments that most churches, most Christian churches practice. First being baptism, and the second being the Eucharist, the communion. Almost all churches, universal, watch it, or watch it, excuse me, practice it. Uh, and it's something that I think we've always done within Christianity. I think it's something you look at most religions and there's these core practices, these core values that all these religions do. Within Christianity, 
two of the most core sacraments are just that of the Eucharist and baptism. And we can get in conversations about all that. You know, there's in Christianity, there's infant baptism, there's uh, adult baptism, there's sprinkling of water, there's full immersion, and people lose their minds about that. Uh, I don't know why, but they do. But the thing that I get with communion and that I've never really understood, and this is full transparency, I've grown up in the church my whole life. If you watched a couple of weeks back and you heard me talk about my story, it was one of these things where I have never, even as a grown adult man at 38, I've never really found this connection to communion. I've participated in it hundreds of times throughout my life as a kid, as a youth, and now as an adult. And I've just never, I've never really gotten the pull of it. And, you know, in this conversation I had on Facebook with people, people are like, oh, well, this is what it signifies. It signifies God's grace, grace to you, God's grace to the church, to the world. It signifies you know, love and community and just all these things. And I get that, but I guess my point with some of these sacraments that we do in the church is to me, it's nothing more than ritualism. To me, it's nothing more than, than that just that ritualism and practices that we do. And I'm, I don't, doing rituals is nothing inherently wrong or evil or problematic with it. I mean, we celebrate birthdays every year. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate Christmas and, you know, ho- certain holidays, wherever you're at in the world, maybe different holidays than in America. And those are, those are rituals. Those are things that come every year, like coming up here in a few weeks is Halloween. Halloween's a ritual that I know Americans do, and I'm sure a lot of other countries do. But we do Halloween where we dress up and be scary There's no right or wrong reason why we do it. We just do it. But I think within the church, we often do communion and baptisms as these, these rites. And I've, and and I've had numerous conversations with professors back in the day, uh, in college and in seminary. And I would pose the question, I know these are sacraments and I know these are important to the life of the church. However, are they needed? Are they something that is a hundred percent, you know, do, does a Christian or does a person need to do them in order to be quote unquote saved or a Christian or whatever? And all these pastors would unanimously say, well, no, it's, it's not a requirement, but it's a gift. Yeah, yeah, and I agree, it is a gift, but it's the way so many churches push it mm-hmm. on people is it almost seems like, oh, if you don't participate in this, then why not? Almost like there's this free gift that God's given you, and if you don't partake in it, then like, why? Why aren't you doing that? And to me, that just never sat right or sat well. Like I've told you about, I grew up in the Assemblies of God where their whole push in their 14 fundamental truths where, you know, you're a Christian, but then how you know you're a Christian, how you know that the Holy Spirit is in you is by speaking in tongues as a first initial evidence. And if I'm true and honest with myself, I don't think I ever really spoke in tongues. I think I, I pretended or just thought it was 
you, you know, just when you're in a spiritual state of almost like ecstasy or or like this high, you tell yourself, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but I don't really think it's was right or appropriate. And so, but they, that is something that that denomination full hold, you know, holds dear. And I still know many people in that tradition who still believe like, yeah, like you're a Christian, but you're not really fully saved or sanctified, whatever words they want to use until you speak in tongues. And I know that there's some Christians now in this world that are like, who honestly believe that if you don't get baptized, then you are in the chance of hell. Or if you don't ever take communion, then you, you go to hell. I'm not saying that's across the board, but there are Christians who are so vehemently like that. And I'm going to throw a word out that some might, you know, know her, but it's within the theological world as a sacramentalist, it, which is literally someone who holds to the sacraments. And I was talking to my best mate from Switzerland, Scotty, about this. And I just, you know, we had a very beautiful conversation about it a couple of weeks ago. And I just said, you know what, Scotty, I'm not a sacramentalist. If I'm honest with myself, I've deconstructed all these things within my life. I said, there's nothing wrong with having sacraments. There's nothing wrong with practicing communion. There's nothing wrong with doing baptism. However, I'm, I don't want to give so much credence, so much weight in conversations about it. And I just, I'm just, at the end of the day, I think the the, tr- the biggest issue with the church to me, well, there's a lot of issues, let's be honest, but I think one of the biggest issues with me is we become so enslaved, so emboldened to the rituals that we do practice. You know, everyone knows that, you know, you're supposed to go to church when you want to. You're supposed to go to church when you feel like it, when you feel spiritually empty. You're part of a spiritual community because something inside of you gravitates towards that, pulls you towards it for, for whatever reason. So, church isn't any kind of church. This is, in a way, church, or I like to call it a spiritual community, you know, and we're talking about these things. And I remember in my post what I wrote that kind of got me in trouble was... Why is it in most churches, it's only the pastors, ordained ministers, or maybe high laity that can give the elements, that can give the bread and the wine or grape juice, wherever, whatever, however the church practices? Because to me, and I'm going to read the Last Supper story where we get communion, because it seems to me the church puts a lot of emphasis on the called, the ordained, the almost elect of the people who can do it, would really, I feel that communion is literally supposed to be about community. That's my push, that's my pull that I'm going to leave everyone with who listens, is it's not, yes, there's grace, yes, there's this gift, but I want to say that it's more showing us that we should be in community in one another, and that community and I take it less that this is my body, this is my blood. Like, obviously, Catholics will say that it's transubstantiation, where it's literally when you say the prayer and when you pray over it, it literally becomes Christ's physical body and physical blood. But let's just be honest, that's just, that's just weird. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. That's just weird. Uh, it sounds like we're a cannibal 
religion when we say <laughs> say things like that. However, when I said this, I had a couple people in the church in the UCC that I was a part of. One of them was a pastor that I know. And all it, it almost felt like when I wrote this that they got really threatened. That they were like, who's Brian coming in here saying that communion is wrong or why we can't do it? And I don't know if people, if I've told people, but I created when I was part of the UCC and I was going to get ordained with them, I actually came up with, uh, uh, I wrote up a whole thing to start a different kind of church service there. It was going to be once a month. It was going to be called Fireside. Uh, where I just wanted kind of stuff like DBA, but I wanted to make it within the church. I wanted to make it um, as low-key as possible, but I was at the time, and this is what kind of got me thinking about why communion is not that important to me as, as someone who likes Jesus and who loves Jesus. And I remember, and they were like, yep, we're okay with this. Yep, we're okay with this. Anyone can do this. Like, we know you're seminary trained, Brian. You've been here for how many years, you and your family. You you know, you're just not some Joe Schmo coming off the street that wants to do this. But then when I got to, in in my proposal that I wrote, I was like, hey, I want, I want uh, to do the Eucharist. I want to do communion. And the one holdup that they had was they're like, well, Brian, you're not ordained or licensed to give the elements. And I was like, so? Like, it, it was one of those things where I was like, I went through seminary, I have a doctorate of ministry, I have a master's of Christian thought, and an undergrad in pastoral studies. Like, I know the Eucharist. I know how to do it. I know how to pray over it and preside over it. And actually, my second Sunday when I was interning at a church in the UCC to on my ordination track, the pastor went on vacation. So, I was literally the only pastor at that church and mind you, within the UCC, it's their it's their teaching that only licensed or ordained people can give communion. And this pastor looked at me and was like, "Oh, the, the Sunday that I'm going to be gone is you know communion Sunday. Uh, can you do the communion? Are you okay with it?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, great." And I remember standing up there in my robes and my stole, and literally there was a script that they gave me to read it, where I you know said the whole thing and talked about the Last Supper. And everyone at the church said it was really moving that I was involved in all this stuff. And so I was like, here I am, not a licensed or ordained minister, and I'm giving the elements to people. But yet, I go to my home church in the UCC, I could never preside over it. And then I wanted to do this proposal where I wanted to have this service once and it wasn't like i was doing it every every sunday or multiple you know services in a day it was one sunday and they made such a huge uh excuse of why i need to be licensed so i had to write all these papers i had to go on zoom I had zoom calls all this stuff and i met with like 20 some people just to get licensed so i could give the elements and this is all this stuff is why I'm saying to you today, why I think it's become so ritualistic for so many people that when they do communion, and I, I remember as a kid, I always loved it, you know, as a eight-year-old or 10-year-old, because I was like, oh, I get like a little snack in church. How cool is that? You know, I get this little sh like shot glass worth of grape juice, and I get this little cracker, a piece of bread, 
and I knew the significance behind it, but as a little kid, I'm sure if my daughter took communion, she'd be like, sweet, this is, she wouldn't theologically understand what the significance is, but she would be like, oh, this is really cool. And so, and I, and I, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I was like, I feel like communion, yes, it was the time before Jesus was betrayed. I'm not going to go on the whole thing of, you know, how Judas betrayed. And yes, it was during Passover, which is very important for the Jews. And I kind of glossed over the whole Last Supper a little bit. But my point that I got in trouble was, I feel like Jesus and his disciples, because that's what the Last Supper is, I was like, they're just chilling. They're just chilling in this house and this you know, just leaning back. And that's one thing I hate what Christianity does. They they paint all these beautiful murals and all these things of, of Jesus and his disciples. And it's like Jesus and his disciples were this ragtag, rebellious, outcast group of individuals who just wanted people to live a better life, wanted people to be like, hey, turn the other cheek, you know, give to the widow, the orphan, and the poor. These are my teachings. And throughout the centuries of Christianity, I feel like we've bastardized all these things within Christianity and are saying, oh, well, if you're you're an arch... And like, looking at the Eucharist, looking at communion, I can't tell you how many times in seminary I would go through books, writing papers, and you would see these awesome ornate drawings of the disciples at the table and you know this almost seems like something you would see in a movie where like it's like french kings or or british kings and and everything like and all this full regalia and and everything and it makes it seem like oh my gosh this is so beautiful and wonderful well really it would be like if you're just hanging out at your house with your buds the people who are in this community with you and you're just like here this is my this is my body as a metaphor of like and and that's what i always want to say to people the whole thing of the blood and the bread of christ we we were like we know most churches we we know it's a metaphor but my look at it is not only is it just a metaphor but it's literally saying that every time you get together with one another anybody who says that they're a christian or i would even say like christian adjacent that when you get with one another if you're having a beer, if you're having a glass of wine, if you're having water and or whatever, any sort of food, remember Jesus, remember Christ, remember what Christ has done. That is the point of communion. It's the community. It's to remember what God has done. And I think we get so caught up, we get so bent out of shape about it, and we get so entrapped in in oh this has really had to happen this really is this we get trapped in the rituals and anybody who knows me knows that this is this is what i want to do with dba it's what i want to do in sacred collective and interviews is i want to just chip away from all that bullshit from all the bs that that we see in our lives that we see in christianity to get it as close to what christ wanted it when he was teaching this so right now, I'm just going to read the scripture verse briefly where we find the Last Supper, and Amanda will put the notes up there too. But we find it in Matthew 26. I'm going to read verses 26 uh, through verse 30. 
Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat this, my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out from, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's forgiveness in my father's kingdom. And that makes sense. That that does make a lot of sense. And it's I think it's still crazy that we there's so many great things that are said in the Bible, a lot of horrible things that are said in the Bible, but we look at those three or four verses and we have made for over two thousand years a sacrament out of that. That we're like this is this is what we're doing. This is how how important all this is. And I know that this talk is not going to be that long because I don't think it needs to be that long. I think it's going to be quite clear and cut and simple. But I wanted to offer you this alternative understanding of communion, of the Eucharist. Because like I said, churches all over the world practice this. I mean, you have evangelical churches, Baptist churches, you have, you know, mainline churches, Presbyterians, UCC, Methodists. Uh, I'm pretty sure like the Eastern Orthodox Church practices it or like the Coptic Church. If people know, if people, I'm, I'm just, let me know, write in comments if there are churches and communities that are well known that don't practice the Eucharist. I, I, do not know off the top of my head if there's any church or group of people that don't practice it. And I know, you know, people are like, oh, well, communion's also this thing, you know, it says right there that Jesus out of Jesus' own mouth was the forgiveness of sins. But I look back at it, and we, we most of us know that sin, all that that word sin means, and I don't like it because it's so loaded and how it's been used over millennia, but all that sin means is missing the mark. When you when you miss the mark, when a person misses the mark, and that could be with anything, oh, you're, you know, you cuss your spouse out, or you're just ter- like a terrible person to be around, you're angry all the time, or, you know, even stealing or some monumental thing, whatever that may be. That's literally what communion was doing. Like Jesus was foreshadowing that this is leading to his crucifixion. Like right after the Last Supper, you know, he gets betrayed. Judas does his thing. And we know the rest of the story. So there's obviously power. Um, there's power in that story. And, but I want to get to it and try, like I said just a second ago, to whittle it down into, yes, it's grace. Yes, it's about forgiveness. All those things are fine. But I really think this message and what I take from it, and I'm one person, you can listen to whoever you want to talk about this, but I really think that the story of communion and the practice of communion is less about grace, is less about Yes, it's a gift. I'm not going to deny those things. But for me, how I view the Eucharist, and I think if I'm honest with myself, I've, even since I was a teenager, and now as, you know, the popular word of deconstruction and how I've deconstructed so many things, so many views, so many other things, and how I view, view it is, it's for community. 
so that once you sit down with your brethren, with your family, you know, you're supposed to remember this. And I, and honestly, I'm not lying when I say this, when I sit down and eat dinner or lunch or whatever with my family, or if I'm going out to eat, you know, you see people praying, thank you God for the food and all these things. But I actually every day, just for a brief second, will sit back and remember this communion story. And I remember just briefly like Jesus sitting with his disciples and say, do this in remembrance of me. That could be a prayer, I guess. I don't know. But I sit down and I cognitively be like, this is what the communion is about. This is, this is what it's about. Sitting down, having, you know, yes, they had bread and wine, but I'm sure they had fish or figs or fruit, you know, whatever. And they were just having this meal because Jesus knew, Jesus knew in his divine foreknowledge that this was the last time that all of these individuals were going to be together. We know Judas was going to betray Jesus and was going to be out, all these things. But I really want to get to the point of that. I think that the Eucharist is supposed to be that about community. And that's simply stated, simply stated. And I think we, in the church, a lot of times as leaders of, of denominations or leaders of, per, you know, said churches, we get caught up in the ritual and we, be, we almost make an idol out of these sacraments. And getting back to some of these things that pastors have said on Facebook to me, and they never really answered it. And I wasn't trying to intimidate them. I wasn't trying to trap them. Nothing like that. What I was trying to simply state is, why is it, if this gift is freely given, if this grace is freely given, what Christ and so many of his disciples have said through these teachings in the scripture, does the church make it that the only people who can give it to people are ordained or licensed ministers. Now, I know that there's, I had some people even write to me, oh, well, the church that I grew up in, anybody could serve it. And I'm not talking about serving, because I've been asked numerous times, oh, like the pastor will pray over it, you know, bless it, and then you'll have your servers or whoever members in the church will take it and then give it to the crowd. Or if you, you know, come up and do the intinction where you dip it in and then eat it, however people do communion is different. But my push was, and my, and I still, my push is that that is just a ritual that we do because that is what we've always done. And I'm always, I've always asked why questions. Even as a little kid, I know my mom, if she listens to this or any of my cousins, because I'm the youngest cousin, I'm the youngest sibling. I always ask these why questions. Well, why? Why do we do it? Why do we do these things? Why, why is it? And I remember saying that. Why, why is communion important? Well, because Brian, da, 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 da. And at the end, I was like, that's not a good enough answer to me. And it wasn't. I was like, why Why do we do communion? Well, it's because it's a gift that Jesus did, and it's this. And I was like, but why do we need to do it? Why do we need to practice it to be Christians? Why It's it's important. And I just I just think when pastors and and people in, you know, high laity, when they're like, well, but, but Brian, it's a, it's a gift that's fully given to us. It's like, yeah, it is a gift, and it is grace. It's all those things that it says in the Scripture but I think we idolize 
these sacraments as a form of like, well, why don't you want to participate in it? And I'm like, because I think that Jesus in the scripture says there's more important things to do within the community of the world in our own community than just doing these sacraments. And I was at a Halloween party yesterday with some, some friends from my past that I reconnected with. And all of them were just like, we can't go into church anymore. We're so hurt by the church. Uh, a lot of them were evangelicals. Some of them were like former mainline people. And they just kept saying to me over and over, the church is toxic. The church hurts. The, you know, all these things. I was like, I've been hurt by the church trying to be ordained twice by two different denominations and two different kind of political spheres of, of evangelicalism and, you know, mainline liberalism. And I, one of the things that I said is like, churches and denominations become so enslaved and so uh emboldened into practicing these rituals like oh i got to get up every sunday and go to church i got to get up every you know wednesday and you know take my child to wednesday night programming oh it's it's communion sunday i got to come to church i remember growing up i would literally hear people say oh the pastor said next sunday is is communion sunday so we better show up because of of this huge important thing and as a 38 year old man i'm like this is just ritual like when we step back and kind of like when you step away from immersing yourself in just deep, deep, um, just deep, deep ritualisticness in the church, you kind of stand back and you're like, what? How does this make sense? And I have a good friend of mine who was in seminary with me and he was all about dissertation and he kind of walked away from it. And he's, he, uh, one thing he always said, my friend Josh said this is once you kind of walk away from Christianity, once you, whether you're a Christian or not, but once you walk away from the day to day grind of being involved in church, going to church, you know, being in committees or literally that, that the whole ritualistic thing of, of Sunday service and get, getting up for church on Sunday. And you step back and you you realize, wow, like, we're doing this all wrong. We're just doing this all wrong. And I love it on Sundays now doing DBA. But like last Sunday, I felt this extreme, even being a little sick, I felt... I felt bad not being here for the people who watch. I feel bad for not being able to send it to Caleb as a producer and editor of this and giving him something to put up. But at the same time, I'm like, but I, I shouldn't be idolizing the idea of church. I shouldn't be like, hey, guys, you need to watch what I'm saying. I appreciate everyone who does tune in every week. I appreciate people who listen to it or share it or who comment. I don't want, I don't want that to seem like I don't because I do. But the more and more I've walked away from, quote, unquote, the normal idea of church the more and more i feel like the teachings and the message of jesus have come alive and have shown me so much more and the pastors who pushed back just kept going super theological super uh well brian you know all this and i said i don't think it's an important thing in the life of the church i'll get that i get that 
But and I was like, I don't think someone who it's Joe Schmo off the street necessarily shouldn't give the elements because there's an important part to it. But there's, I mean, look at the Catholic Church. You cannot take communion in a Catholic Church unless you are Catholic. Well, why? If if the Catholic Church is the biggest denomination and one of the biggest institutions in the world, you're telling me you can't take communion unless you're Catholic? That's, it's supposed to be a free gift. In a lot of traditions, you can't take communion until you're a teenager or the age of accountability, whatever that is. And I just look at all these stories that I've heard, and when you study the denominations, it's like, if this is supposed to be a free gift from God, if this is supposed to signify his last meal with his disciples, and then we make it into, well, only the lady or ordained ministers can do, like, say the prayer, or only uh, these elect people can say it, and only these people who say that they're a Christian can be a part of communion whenever we do it. It just reeks of arrogance. It reeks of superiority. It reeks of uh, us versus them. And the thing that's hurting the church so much, and I've said this to mainline people, I've said it to evangelicals, is the outside world is looking at what people do inside the church, and they're like, it doesn't make sense, and it's not relevant to us anymore. And I would say that to anybody. I would go to my UCC church that I'm friends with people at and be like, what are you doing in church that is more relevant and more needed than what the rest of the world is doing? And I was hanging out with friends yesterday at this party, and almost all of them were atheist or agnostic. And I was like, you're my people. I said, I have more friends that are atheist and agnostic and former Christians and I'm more in community and more with them than the religious people and the Christians. And I never said it, but then just saying this now kind of put it in my head, I'm like, and I'm not friends with them because I'm like, oh, I'm trying to win you over to Jesus or I'm trying to win you over to, to Christianity. I just think it's like, I know all this stuff about the Bible. I know all this stuff about Jesus. But I feel that I have more in common now as an adult with atheists and agnostics than I do with most Christians because, and I've used this to Christians, you want us to come to church every Sunday, but isn't the church supposed to be a place where you go when you're spiritually hungry, when you're spiritually in need of like a pick-me-up? In essence, using it as a metaphor of you only go to the hospital or to see your doctor when something's not right. My doctor would feel very weird and probably get mad for wasting her time if I just showed up at my clinic and I was like, hey, how are you doing, Dr. Feng? Okay, Brian, what's going on? Are you okay? I just wanted to come here and say hi. Okay, well, why? Well, because, you know, I miss you. Um, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, blah, blah, blah. She would look at me and be like, what? You're like, are you on something? But yet, we get so involved in church, and we're like, well, you need to come to church every Sunday, and you need to take communion, and you need to do this, and make sure you're baptized, and make sure, you know, depending on what tradition that you speak in tongues, or make sure that you practice this spiritual gift, or make sure that you have the gift of prophecy, or make sure you have the gift of intercessory prayer, and all these things. And I'm not, and I'm not pissing on any of those things, but I think what it's more about, and what this 
talk on communion has made me realize is that so often within Christianity, we've made it uh, of an idol. We've made sacraments idols. We've made, uh, we've gotten so off the track of what these things mean. And I'm, like I said earlier, I'm one person that has this one view and I could be wrong. I will fully admit that I could be wrong. But when I look at this story, I look at it as, and if you read the part beforehand, right before the couple of verses that I read, it literally, you know, said, you know, I knew one of, the, I know one of you disciples is going to betray me. You know, we know, like, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And you even hear Judas being like, it's not me, even though it was him and he already did the deal, so to say, with the Pharisees. But I really, honestly, 100% in my gut feel that communion in in its perfect form and in the perfect idea of what we're supposed to do is that any of us, if you're in a pub and you're having a pint with a buddy and you're having some fish and chips or you're having a pizza or whatever and you're sitting down talking about life, you know, one of my favorite theologians and teachers is Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer literally has a book called Life Together. And it's one of my favorite books of all time because literally the whole book is how do we live life together as people? And I know there's there's a lot of books coming out about it, but also, and then also with, with Bonhoeffer, how do we be better Christians without the religion in our life, religionless Christianity. I'm taking a class here because I'm a glutton for punishment on, on Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, and he critiqued Christianity. And he was saying the worst thing about Christians a lot of the times is our in, insane, incessant desire to be right, to have to be in power, to... Uh, our, our nationalism of not just our country where we live, but just that, oh, our religion's right and our God is right. And I think Kierkegaard was a devout person who believed in God, but he's critiqued it. Bonhoeffer critiqued Christianity. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard critiqued Christianity. He critiqued all this stuff. And I'm not comparing myself to any of these men in either way, but I feel like that's my job. What I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to look at the church in the world as it is and critique it to be like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be what we see, what Jesus says it's supposed to be. It's these rebellious, outcast individuals following this crazy biblical or crazy teacher named Christ who says he's God's son. And then doing these things. And then I look at literally going to church on a, on a Sunday, people wearing all these nice, you know, stoles or nice, you know, suit coats and ties and having these worship bands. And I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody who goes to services like that or if they find spiritual connection, you do you. If that's what happens and that's how you get connected, great. But I feel church and sacraments and all these things we've idolized them so much that we really truly miss what the teachings of christ are supposed to be and that is of love and community and of hope 
and of grace. And I know people can say, well, Brian, that's what Christ says right here in the scripture is I'm doing this for love. Yeah, he is doing it for love. And he was telling his, and like I've said, we're not supposed to say what, you know, how this, we're not supposed to look at it in the context we're in. We're supposed to look at it in the context of when it was written and in these stories. And literally that story was Jesus telling his disciples, like, this is it. This is the end of the road. Like, this is the last time all of us are going to be together in the way that we know it. Like, we've walked, you followed me through all these towns and villages, preaching this teaching, preaching this ethic, and now this is it. This is the end. We can go no further. You can go further. You can go and speak these things. And like I said a couple weeks ago, and people get, people had pushed back on me a little bit. Well, Christ says, do the, this is, I'm it. I'm, I'm at the end. I'm dying. But you're going to do greater things than even I. So if we take this ethic of what Jesus says, he's saying, take this idea of communion and do it better than I have. You know, tell people about my teaching, but do it better than I did. And nowhere on there is he saying, oh, like you're Christ, you're Jesus. He's just saying, because you're going to have a longer life than me. You're going to have more opportunities than I did because I'm going to get killed for this. He knew he was going to get killed. He knew he pissed off the Romans. He knew he pissed off the Pharisees and all the religious people, which I think is really badass that he pissed all these people off. But then he went to Peter. He went to Simon. He went to all these people and was like, this is it. But when you guys get frustrated, when you guys get hungry, when you guys feel, you know, you need this pick me up have this communion do like have a meal together eat some fish eat some bread eat eat some figs have some wine and but while you're at it remember me remember me when you do it and every time you sit down and have a meal remember me because one day I'm eventually going to see you again, but for now, let's, let's use this meal as a signifier of, of this, of this time we had together. I, it seems like, you know, sometimes, like, like I've said, my friend Scotty lives all the way over in Switzerland and I live here in Minnesota. Every time we had a meal or like our last meal together as, uh, as all of us together, his family and mine, it was like this, not comparing that it was the last supper, but it was the last supper that me and him had with our families. But that, that idea of that last meal that we had carries me through the days, through the weeks till I'm going to see him someday again. And I feel like that is what communion should be looked upon. Communion, and I would say if you really want to practice communion in a church, and I've said this in papers before in seminary, then churches should do it every freaking Sunday. They should do it at every event, at everything. If it's so important, why do you do it only one one Sunday a month? And there are some churches that do it every every Sunday, and good on them. I'm going to wrap up. I, did, I didn't think I was going to go this long, but I guess the longer story short is let's stop doing communion as a ritual and st- and and idolizing it. I'm not saying if it's a sacrament and you look at it as a sacrament, I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't, but I'm trying to peel back and deconstruct the 
the incessant need and desire to have to look at it as a sacrament or or the just I'm trying to almost take out all the pomp and circumstance in a way of it and to really look at it as solely just community solely of we remember what Jesus did and like and I I've said to even my own wife if I'm 100% honest with myself I've never once when I've taken communion have felt this super close divine moment of me in Christ or me and all the communion of all the other Christians in the world who take it. I've never felt that. And maybe, I don't know if I'm the only one or if there's millions out there like me. I've never really felt that. I've never felt like when I take communion that it's me just being like, okay, Jesus, I feel your presence. I I feel you all around me. Because I know I'm not a sacramentalist, but like when I go out in nature, my brother and I went camping a few weeks ago and just hiking up these hills and seeing these beautiful trees and here in this, you know, it's fall here. So mornings get a little crisp and the trees are turning colors and I feel more connected to the divine, to God being out in nature than I ever have taking a, a, a cracker or a piece of bread and wine. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying any of these things are wrong or anything like that, but it's almost like the church is like, this This is this sacrament is going to get you closer to God, and look at the significance of it, and da-da-da-da-da. And I just sit back, and I'm like, no, I don't feel it. And if I don't feel it, and I've been born into this, and I've been in seminary, and have all these degrees, I'm surely I'm not the only one. So, I guess wrapping up, and I think couple questions came in i i really want to just encourage everyone to just sit back and just wrestle with this idea of communion why do we participate in communion why do we do communion why is it important and maybe start questioning why things why they're important start questioning why is it only ministers of these denominations that come out and and say these can be the only ones that do it unless just kind of get the conversation going of changing what communion is man is gonna maybe give me the phone so i don't have to scroll up um the salvate ray wrote the salvation army at least in the uk and ireland and quakers on program do not practice the rights except for marriage that's very true you know as soon as i said that ray was a good idea or the the thought dawned on me like because i actually uh, heard a Quaker talk a while back and they don't really practice a lot of these things. So that's really good to know, um, that the Salvation Army, I know the Salvation Army in the States practice communion because I actually preached at a, uh, Salvation Army church here in St. Paul and it was a communion. So here they do, but like you said, maybe in Ireland and the UK, they don't, um, except for, and I like, is what people say how important marriage is. But that's not a sacrament. I find that that's interesting how people so push the idea of, you know, that marriage is important and that when you get married, all these things, but it's a right, but not a sacrament. Um, and Ray also wrote, I was Church of the Nazarene and it was made into a holy rite once a month with Rabina, where we sat in silence and no one talked while ensuring to give the impression of being solemn and introspective. Far, far removed from that first story of a group supper 
once a month as it was some magical preserved ritual. Glad to be away from it. Yeah, Ray uh, took the words out of my mouth. Um, there's different ways to practice communion. There's different ways to do that. I like the introspection. I've been in services in different churches and branches of Christianity that have um, done stuff like introspection, being in time of silence, being in time of, like you said, the introspectiveness. And, and that's great. But your last thing, what you said was, I'm glad to be away from it. And and that's me too. Um, I haven't participated in communion in months. And it's not something my soul yearns for. Like I said, I'm not saying it's wrong or bad, but it's not something my core of who I am as Brian or in my spiritual walk that that I crave. Uh, I said to people yesterday at this party, I said, I'm Jesus adjacent, meaning I love the teachings and message of Jesus, but the church, the concept and idea of church that permeates American culture, that probably permeates cultures all over the world, is the thing that I have a problem with. And, and that, is, that is the hill that I will die on, is we've become so, not just with baptism, not just with, um, not just with communion, but our views on homosexuality, our views of how we do church, how we look at the end of the world, how we view hell, all these things, A through Z. So many people are like, this is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I just sit back at the end of the day and I'm like, no, it's not. None of that is what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. So, um, I'm going to wrap up there. As I've said, just, just get this, whether you're by yourself and you think about it, whether you're with your spouse or your kids co-workers, everyone in the world if knows what communion is. I shouldn't say everyone in the world, but most people do. And just start having a conversation and just see where it goes. This is how things change. This is how movements start. Um, it's how people just start re-changing things. You know, um, I like I said a few weeks ago when I talked about divorce, Evangelical churches were vehemently against divorce and still until a lot of people started talking about it. And still a lot of people were like, hey, I'm divorced. W what about this? Or my mom's divorced or my grandpa or whoever. And now you've seen so many things within the church change about divorce. So in the same way with communion, I'm not saying it can't be a sacrament, but let's sit back and start an asking these questions of is is communion as important as we think it is? Or is our meaning of communion a little different now, thousands of years later, uh, than it was back then? So, till next time, I'll be back next week at Bryant Lake Bowl. Um, I will say this, um, the, next the next two weeks will be live in person. Um, but then the first week in November... Um, Amanda and I are going to be out of town for our anniversary. We're going to be in Boston. Um, so we're going to be out there. And then the Sunday after that, we're not having a service. Um, cause if you saw on my Instagram or on my Facebook, there's an event that I'm participating in this film screening of the Reverend, um, that I'm going to be a part of and they need it, um, to set up and everything while it would be during the same time that we're doing DBA. Uh, but 
so we'll be here the next two weeks in person at Bryant Lake Bowl. And then the two weeks after that, we're going to be on hiatus for a few weeks uh, because of, of those events. So be kind to one another, love one another, and we will see you next week. Bye.